This week's episode of Query is sponsored by Tomboy X. Friends, it's time to stop wearing underwear that doesn't make you feel confident and comfortable. Tomboy X has everything from bikinis, briefs, boxer briefs, trunks and boy shorts to soft bras and racerback bras, all in everyday basic colors and fun seasonal prints, and in sizes from extra small to 4X. Wherever you fall on the size and gender spectrum, Tomboy X offers amazing underwear that anybody could feel comfortable in. I am literally wearing some right now. There are these rainbow, like, trunks, I think. Yeah, they're shorter than boxer briefs. And they make me feel very happy. I wear them on the road when I'm bopping around my hotel room feeling like a genius. You can feel like a genius too by just going to tomboyx.com slash query, checking out their special bundles that they have just for query listeners, and you can get an extra 15% off when you use the code query. Again, that's the code query for 15% off. Ditch whatever you're wearing for a pair of Tomboy X underwear. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you, That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. Today's, first of all, I'm recording outside and there are planes flying over my head. Enjoy. Second of all, I want to thank all of you that came out to see me on tour. This was an incredible tour, and I want to thank all the LGBT organizations that came and spoke to my audiences. Dang, am I a lucky person to have such a good and solid family with me and next to me. Friends, I will also be in San Francisco on October 12th, Portland on the 13th, Seattle on the 14th. I will be in Washington, D.C. on October 27th. I will be in Denver from the 1st to the 3rd of November. Then I will be in St. Louis on November 9th, New York on November 10th. And is that, is that it? Yeah, I think that's like kind of it. Oh, God. Then I can relax. Today's guest is Todd Glass. Todd is um, a comedian who's been working for a very long time, as you'll, as you'll hear very soon. He's been a professional for... Um, since he was like a teen and he came out in 2012 uh, after 30 years in the business of stand-up and it was kind of a big deal he's a comics comic he's a super manly man and i think it did actually have um some some reverberation in the community just in terms of like uh, showing the diversity of what it looks like for folks to be queer and i loved this conversation with todd he is you know, somebody who's ahead of me in line and, um, you know, someone I look up to. And it was just a pleasure to have a chance to talk to him. So please enjoy the show. Oh, you can also get tickets to all tour dates at CameronEsposito.com slash tour. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on. Darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. How do you feel? You ready to go? Yeah. Amazing. Um... Yeah, it's freezing in here, but you like this. This oh, is what it. you like. You like a really think. cold studio. Anything. Cold house, cold studio, cold outside. Not freezing cold, but like... Yeah. Well, Ever? then like stage is a living nightmare for you because it's so it, hot under those dang lights. I put so much of where clubs I go to, uh, what their air conditioning is like. You I know, also don't... Learn. I know you're not kidding. Because no, you, are, you are also a guy who walks in... And tells clubs 
like what's wrong with their stage. Well, stuff. I don't do it in a snarky way. No, no, I, no. Yeah, yeah I know. But for like for like our best success or whatever. Yeah, I try to try to comp. I, I like I always say I don't take criticism well from anybody unless I know they respect me. Then mm-hmm. I'm wide open for from my peers, you know. Um, but uh, so same thing with clubs. I wouldn't just walk into a new club, do this. But once I know they respect them, and I'm like, yeah, you can tweak this. But yeah, cold. On stage, I can't. Some people, I think it is. They, they. Go, I know other comedians. They'll go, oh, I don't like the heat, but they, they, they're all right with it. They, they'll perform. I'm through. If it's hot, I can't think. So I love clubs that are freezing cold or have just great. It <laughs> doesn't have to be freezing cold, but good AC. Solid AC. Yeah. Hey, also um, on this show, I have guests introduce themselves. Cool. Will you say who you are? Will you introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. I'm Todd Glass. I grew up in Philadelphia. Yep. And the rest is history. <laughs> and you're a comic. Um, actually, you're like a – I mean, I think you're – and you know that. I mean, you're like a comics comic guy. Folks f- folks that are – folks that do stand-up, I think, have a lot of respect for you. Well, you know, I, I, I of course appreciate that. I do because uh, – because I think you can have both. That's the thing. I think you can have success. Oh, yeah. Not that I've had, like, crazy success. But I no, mean— No, you're successful. No, yeah. no, no. I, and I know you weren't saying I wasn't. What I mean is, like, sometimes, um, like, when there's somebody in the business that is like, gets made fun of, maybe some of my friends out of the business will go, well, can you have success and have your peers respect you? I go, oh, the, you can have both. There's a lot of comedians that are doing really well and also respected by their peers. So it's not one or the other. But um, I— I would like to have both. I, I like – it makes me feel good when you have the respect to your peers. Norm MacDonald – and I didn't even know this was the quote. I thought he just said Todd Glass is a comedian. I read it, comedian's comedian, blah, blah, blah. But then like a year after the book was out, my brother was like – he was just talking to me and he goes, oh, I love what Norm wrote. And he and he read it and it's like, no, Todd, he said there's comedians, comedians, but Todd's a comedian's comedian, comedian, yeah. which means two people think he's funny. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's a – I mean maybe people who don't like follow stand-up or who aren't comics don't know what we're talking about, which is really that like – you know, there's some folks that have like – that have success or don't have success, but that the back of the room isn't laughing at them. And uh, the back of the room is where the comics stand because we like aren't – we don't want to be up front like with anybody seeing us. We want to be in the back hanging out with each other. And this is – this goes away as you continue your career. Like if you're touring, there aren't like comics that are touring with you in the back. But it's kind of set early. Like when yeah. you're all working out your stuff together, yeah. there's like the comics people come back in the room for. And then there's the comics that people like stay at the bar for. Right, right. And uh, that's kind of what we're talking about, which is that like that that person that – makes other comics laugh. Yeah. And I, and I think it's because, like, I mean, obviously there's the parody of it when the comedian just is in the back of the room. Ah, but I, I think a lot of times it's genuine. Uh, the exp- I think the way me and my friend came to this thing was to make comedians laugh, because I don't think it's that hard. I think comedians, I, I love to go into a room and uh, and laugh at other comedians, but they just can't be doing, like, I don't know why this is an easier analogy to make for me, but like if you went to see a magician, and this also keeps me on my up and up on being a good comedian, because I, I I don't think it's too late to keep growing as a comedian at all. But so like my friend said, 
to make sure your jokes aren't just technically jokes. You know, <laughs> sure. okay, I'll give it to you. In a court of law, I'm not going to argue. But you know that – I know it's a visual, but I think if I explain it well enough. You know the thing uh, where you can take your thumb and make it like it's a magic trick. You can make it look like it's moving off your hand. Yeah, you're like pulling it. Yeah, yeah yes. you, you put your thumb up. Everyone knows that. You do, oh, look, my thumb. Okay, Technically, okay, yes, that's technically a magic trick. But if you drove to the magic castle and you paid to park and you you got a babysitter or whatever you had to do <laughs> and the ladies and gentlemen and he walked out on stage and did that, you'd be like, oh, it's a fucking magic trick, but that's a shitty magic trick. I could do that magic trick. I don't want my jokes to be equivalent to that. Sure. I also think that the thing that, that stands out for people or like the types of comics that tend to have this appeal, it's like, uh, somebody who has a very clear voice, somebody who's pretty un- unapologetic, um, and somebody who is just like saying something only they could say. You know, I think those things are very true of you. Yeah, that's why it's like funny when you think back. Like, I was, I was referencing a new comedian the other day, and I was like, but new means it could be doing it 12 years. Yeah. But it is, because when I've been doing it 12 years, I was still finding out what I wanted to do, which I'm, which in a way is good. I once said to somebody, a comedian, when am I going to stop being embarrassed of my old work? And they go, hopefully never. Oh, yeah. No way. And I went, oh, that made me feel good. Because, yes, it Thank means you're God, growing. right? Yes. Yes. Oh, Otherwise, no. If you were like straight up, I wrote my best stuff a year in. Right, right. Exactly. Oh, my God. Like, put me out to pasture. <laughs> That's exactly what we said. Yeah. Like, oh, my best work was three years ago, you know? This so. joke really works for me. <laughs> this I still use this and it still works. Uh, that No, that's like insult. That's an insult. Um how long? How far? How long have you been doing stand-up? Oh, you know, even though everybody probably there, everybody's age is always like, oh, but I've been. I started in. I just figured this out. Like I think it was like a year ago. I was like, wait, how long have I been doing it? And I know that I graduated high school in '82. That's a fact. That's as well, I didn't graduate, but I left. Um, so, and I started in the end of tenth grade or. The beginning. Jesus Christ! So it was like you I was just at the turning end of tenth grade. I know I was just turning sixteen, so it was either I know it was eleventh grade at least, the, like in wow. the beginning of eleventh grade. I don't know if it's like I did it the last month of tenth grade, and then we went on you know summer vacation, and I came back, or but so right around there. So I would think in a year and a half in that area, I'm going to be hitting forty years. Holy shit! Wait, I have so many. I have some follow up questions. I know. Here, here are the follow up questions. Where were you going up in tenth grade? And by the way, it's it, the only reason I I, I think I sh- you know because because you know I, it, I feel in my heart like genuinely and physically like eighteen yeah eighteen I in my in my heart of course but physically you know you know the only thing I've really had to do to keep that going is about two years ago I had to start stretching I'm like all right you fought it long enough but other than that now I stretch like a crazy person um, but other than that I feel the same. So I don't really like talking about my age, but yet I am sort of proud. When I did the math, I was like, oh, my God, I'm, do I get anything? <laughs> well, it also kind of sucks that, like, inherently – well, that, inha- that aging is, like, inherently negative to us and we're cultured to think it's negative. But then also you can't talk about how much of your life you've dedicated to this thing without your age being implicit. Exactly. You know, like, I, like exactly. I, that's actually – I'm not trying to ask you this question because I'm like, no. no, okay, roll out. Like, tell me about what your body looks like. You know, like, yeah. I'm not – like, <laughs> I'm – I'm um, but it, it, is, it is important to – you know, you and I are not peers. Like, you've been doing it a lot longer. So it's important to me to 
as a comic, like acknowledge that. Oh no, and I'm so with you. You said it beautifully. Like you know, you if you're not if the one the other one, like everybody is like, oh, your age. It's always a funny thing, but um, get over it because then you you know you you've been doing this body of work, and and uh, you asked me where I had started when I was 15. A friend of mine told me his name. Uh, my friend Albert, <laughs> he told me that there was this comedy club. I didn't even know, like, to me, you were either George Carlin or Rodney Dangerfield or the younger comedians when I was in high school were like Jay Leno and Jerry Seinfeld. Like, I started to see them on, like, The Tonight Show. Like, And to me, it was either, you know, I didn't know there was an in-between. Like, I didn't know there was, like, now, of course, we do. We know people that are, that, you know, might not be, like, household names but make a living so I went to the comedy works and I like literally I fell in love I was like this I, I like stand up on TV but and you know of course you remember the, a lot of the names I remember names of people that I don't know what they're doing now but mostly it's easier to remember the people that weren't famous then that now have so me and my friends would see like you know, Richard Lewis and Gilbert Godfrey and Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno and Roseanne Barr and Tim Allen and Eddie Murphy and just, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And I was like, wow. And then I found out they had an open mic night on Wednesday. And that's that's oh where I God. used to go. But I looked, I always looked like I was, you know, I'm sure back then I think I looked. When I was 15, 16, I looked 25. So I never got carded. Ever. Oh, really? No, Do you think never. you could? Do you think you could have gotten in there and be that, been that, or was it was it like a twenty one plus? It wasn't, room? you know. I, I in that case, it wasn't. The comedy works was because they had dinner, so it was yeah. a restaurant. It had a restaurant license, or however you want to say. Right. It. So I didn't. I was okay being underage, being. But in getting there. on stage, also, I'm imagining you're a fifteen year old and you look like a fifteen year old. That's going to be a totally different experience than if you look. Like somebody that people in the audience can relate to a little bit more. Like if you're if you're people are assuming you're older than you are, that like kind of buys you something yeah, yeah. in that time. And I never talked about it really. My age was never. Um, you got up on stage at 15. You didn't talk about your age. Again, I looked definitely at least 22. Yeah, I definitely. What were 22. you talking about? I was probably 16 in that era. Oh, geez, just nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was doing like trying to figure it out, but every oh, just silly stuff. Like I remember I had this joke like. Hey, you know what you should do if you get pulled over by the cop? Like, as he starts walking up to your car, just keep slowly inching your car up. <laughs> Not so he notices. So eventually he's like, wait, how far back did I park? Stuff. It was jokes about the Brady Bunch. You know, what What did I have, you know? But, um, oh, I had jokes about my mom. Like, a lot of times she'd be like, oh, my God, I can't find something. Does you ever do this to your mom? She's like, I can't find something. And then you realize you took it. So then you get it from your room and you put it back where it was and you open the drawer and go, Mom, it's right here. She's like, I think I'm losing my mind. I'm like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> By the way, these jokes actually still work. I just have to say, the cop car inching up thing, that's funny. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what happened for you next? You're like doing this mic. Did you start get, getting booked there? You know, it does get – a little blurry. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it always gets blurry. I mean, I remember, of course, so much, but it does get a little blurry. And I always say that in case, like, I'm off on a year or what happened. But it, it, I did open mic night for a while. And so I'm, you know, and then I'm 16, I'm 17. And the big deal there was you got on the Thursday show. And that was best of Philadelphia. You know, that was like you got to do 10 minutes 
and that. And then you got to open for acts on the weekend. Like that's, you know, for people that are listening that don't know the usually from the local comedians, whatever city you're doing comedy in, a big deal is to get to host one of the weekend shows. Yeah. And that's like usually packed and they're paid to get in and you might be on the show with some really cool people. I was just going to say you're meeting those comics, which also like – Really, Matt. It matters so much, and there's there's that little thing where you're like, oh man, this person's gonna totally be my ticket in. Which, by the way, isn't like ever what happens. But then there's also like just the you know getting to pal around with somebody, and and like even if you're like at a distance because they're they're the headliner, it's their space, or they're the feature, it's their space. But you're the host, so you're like nervously in the corner trying to figure out if you can get a joke in, so maybe they think you're funny and like you and want you to you know. Yeah, everybody was overwhelmingly super nice. Uh-huh. Every comedian I met that I was nervous meeting was super nice. And, you know, I was in Philadelphia, so I had a car. So if they wanted to go to the mall the next day, like now I'm on the other end of this so much. But then, you know, so I got a weekend uh, hosting for uh, Jay Leno was my first weekend. And he would back then, like Jay Leno would annihilate. And uh, he was and he was friendly and he was approachable. And, and then... From then on, I, you know, I kept getting, I kept getting MC spots a lot. I would get, like, I would MC, like, a lot. Like, the owner was really nice to me, and that really helped me. And then there were a ton of comedy places all over Philadelphia. So long story, you know, somewhat short. And then I think the next jump up was, um, and I just talked about this a few nights ago with Aretha Franklin passing away, that there was a place in Philadelphia called the Valley Forge Music Fair. It was in the suburbs. We're about 10 minutes from where I lived. 3,000 seat in the round. It's called the Valley Forge Music Fair. That's not there anymore. The Westbury Music Fair is still there now in New York City. 3,000 seat in the round, which 3,000 in the round is amazingly intimate, you know, because it's like 1,500 basically. And they got a call from the owner of the Valley Forge Music Fair. Hey, we need an opening act. And uh, because the act that was there, George Jones, didn't have one. Sometimes big acts would come in. They'd have their own opening, usually a comedian or a singer. Sometimes they didn't, and the Valley Forge Music Fair would provide one for them by calling the Comedy Works because they trusted him because every time he sent somebody, even though they didn't know who the hell they were. And I had seen this guy, Jim McCormick, at Denny's because I went to school with his son. Now I'm already graduated. And I seen his, and I would see him at Denny's, and he would always go because he owned the Valley Forge Music Fair. Hey, you ready to open up at the music fair? And I wasn't. And I always like to me it was a joke, and I'd be like, not yet, but hopefully one day. And then maybe eight months later, you know, of course, it, some time had to pass. Steve Young, the owner, he goes, hey, did, did, they called from the Valley Forge Music Fair. Uh, you're gonna open up for George Jones. Oh my God. And then I opened up for. Patti LaBelle, I spent a month on Broadway with her and George Benson and Aretha Franklin and The Temptations. And uh, What know, age are you? At this point, now I did the math here because I have a poster. In 1984, that's when I did a good job opening up for Patti LaBelle in like 82, maybe 83. And then in 84... Uh, her manager called because I'd done a good job at the Valley Forge Music Fair, just opening for her two nights. That was it. And she took me to Broadway where we did 40 shows on Broadway. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Okay. I know. it's. And cr- you're like, and you are like. I'm 19. Night, 19. Okay. Yep. All right. And here's the thing. I remember, I really go, come on, how old was Patti LaBelle? Because the reason I was like. This was a while back I tried to figure this out because I remember, like, I'm 19. My brothers are 17. We're hanging out. They would come spend two days with me. Patti LaBelle was super nice to all my brothers. She was so sweet. And uh, all I remember, we were talking about how old she was because she had just turned, I thought, 40. But now, of course, I'm going, 
all right, listen, it couldn't have been 40 because I, even though if I was 18, I still didn't think, no, it was 40. We'd be like, look at her moving around up there. Like <laughs> she still has, she, she still has agency over her body. It seems <laughs> right? to go in the way she directs it. It was crazy. And then I thought, wait, maybe it was 50, which would still today, 50 is nothing, but 40. No, it was 40. Wow. And, uh, so, Where did you live? Did you drive in from Philly and still, or did you like I, stay at a spot in New York? I they I, they got. I had a hotel right across the street from the. Uh, um, oh, it was called the Minskoff Theater, and uh, I I was back two years ago or three. I was there's another theater above it, and I was there opening up for Jim Gaffigan. And somehow two days into this, just three days there with Jim Gaffigan, they, they mentioned the Minskoff Theater. I go what? They go, yeah, this, there's this theater here, and then downstairs is the Minskoff Theater, you know. And I was like, oh, my God, that's where I opened up for Patti LaBelle, like, back then. So I got a hotel, but every—again, this is the part that gets a little gray, but I'm pretty close. Every Sunday, we had a matinee show, and then we were done till Tuesday. So Patti LaBelle had her son up there, who was—his name was uh, Zori. He was 13. So me and Zori, they would pick us up in a car— Zori would have to go back to Philadelphia because that's where he was just spending the weekend with his mom. He, she stayed in New York. She had a place in New York. And the, the car would drop Zori off at his house, and then it would take me to my parents' house. It's a black car? It's like a— it's like a, it, it was, it was so a stretch. Like back stretch, then— it was So a, you're like showing up. What the— it What was a, you know what? must your family have been thinking— about this, like, this is a meteoric, you know, like, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was my weird. My kid, this just happens sort of, to my kid. It's sort of just all. And by the way, it wasn't the growth of my stand-up because my stand-up, as far as the quality of my stand-up, grew later in my career. But this opening work sort of happened very early on. I didn't save any money. But um, my parents were definitely proud. And, you know, I always had a very special place in my heart for Pat LaBelle because my dad died when I was just about five months before I was getting ready to move to L.A. And then he saw me open up for Patti LaBelle. And that was like, I was in a tuxedo, oh, and it yeah. was on Broadway, and then Patti LaBelle would come out. And, like, some of this stuff I appreciated, but maybe I took for granted a little because I was so young. Because she would dedicate a song to me every night. She'd be like, where's Todd? Because I would stand, like, in the car. You know, you know how a theater is now. If you're yeah. there opening for someone, you can then maybe go back in the theater. You find a little place to, yep. in the, in a, you know, where the two doors are. You squeeze back there. You can watch the show. And I would always squeeze in the theater to watch Patti LaBelle because some of my friends would be like, wanted to see what she did. I go, where do you see her show? It's crazy. The energy is just, like, it's just absurd. And every single show, it's like 100%. Like, a hundred. She wails it out. So I wanted to see it. And I was, like, talking. You know, I'd be, like, real whispering. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, this is right. Oh, I met her. Found, you know, blah, blah. And my friend goes, Todd, she's dedicating a song to you. And I was, like, oh, even then I knew, okay, shh, sh turn around. And it was, there's a winner in you. And my parents were in the crowd one night. And she goes, where's Todd's parents? And they put a spotlight on them. And I was, like, even then I was, like, I remember thinking, oh, like, oh my gosh, so she did you her. such a solid. She did. She, she really, did. really she did. did. She really did. And then my dad saw that and then went backstage and I told my family, I go, every night after, uh, uh, when I'm done, 
And when she, and then there's a two, maybe a 10 minute break, you know, and then, you know, and then, uh, uh, she would walk by my dressing room. She would always ask how the show was, how was mm. the crowd. I told my family that. I go, she'll come back. She'll, you know, my dad, my brothers, we're all in my green room. And uh, she just walked by my green room. She just walked by, and I thought, you know, she probably maybe got some stuff in her mind. Literally every night she would stop by the green room and just poke her head in. Hey, you know, I heard a little bit of it. That was funny, or they're good. or And I always um, – and then she walked by my green room, just passed it by on the way to the stage. And then she, like, Literally five seconds later, she started cracking up. She goes, I can't do it. She goes, your brother told me, don't stop in the green room. I'm like, when did he talk to you? (laughs) He goes, Todd said that you always stop by his green room. Of course, some 17-year-old kid's telling her this. Oh, my God. You know, so she she did it, you know? Oh, man. You know, but that, I think that one thing that happens when, when you're an artist is that, like, it's a weird job without a ton of certainty and... For me, you know, my parents, like, work so hard to, to like, put themselves through college and, like, you know, my mom worked at McDonald's. My dad shoveled asphalt to, like, put himself through law school. They sent me to private school, which also happened to be Catholic. Whoopsie-daisy on the Catholic part. But, like, you know, it's a ton of money invested in me. And uh, and then I'm just, like, I'm just going to do – I'm just going to do art. I feel like there's a moment for any parent where you're just, like – Oh fuck! You know, like, fu- like, fuck! Like, really? You know, that's that's what you're. I mean, I had good grades. I had all this stuff that I could have done that would have been a sure thing. And um, I know how much those moments matter when you're just like worried for your kid. And I'm so glad that you had that early. I mean, literally, like, what was this last year? Year before, um, I went and did this like fundraiser in Detroit, and I got to bring a, a guest, and they were going to fly the guest in and put us both up. And so I brought my mom because parents live in Chicago. It was like a super easy flight. And I actually flew to Chicago. Look, I'm going to say I nailed the fuck out of this. I flew to Chicago, brought my dad to see the Cubs. We sat four rows back off the on-deck circle. The Cubs had just won the World Series. Be- beautiful, beautiful, right? Then I took my mom to Detroit and the the fundraiser, the like guest of honor that they were that they were that they had there was Lily Tomlin, who my mom, wow. you know, is like a lifetime fan of because Lily's just been such a huge star forever. And my mom like loves Grace and Frankie. It's like the you know the only show that she watches and talks to me about. So I got to take my mom and then like, of course, because like we're performing on the gala, my mom is, we're sitting at the same table with Lily and my mom's sitting next to her and I'm, and uh, I got to go up and do stand up and it's, and they're like, they're How long did you do? I did a I did not like super long, but like twenty or something. Oh, like yeah, it was like a, it was a, no, it was. I thought maybe ten or something. Yeah, it was like an amount, you know, like where like it was a, a real version of what my comedy is right, like, right. and uh, and I and I know for a fact because my mom told me that Lily like you know leaned over and said like oh, she's great like what a talent or whatever to my mom during the set or right after or whatever. Yeah, that, that and, goes along. You know, way. it's just like. Then you go, hey, thank you. <laughs> thank you because I think like that's the – yeah. you know, there are those moments where like people around you that love you get to exhale when you do this right, weird right. job. Yeah, because my parents were supportive because there was nothing else. They didn't know what the hell I was going to do because I right. was not doing very well in school because I had dyslexia and they didn't really know what it was then. No no big deal. Um, I, I mean I say that but I'm not like, oh, I had dyslexia. But what I mean is back then they were tr- still trying to figure out what it was. They're like, he's not scoring high here but he's verbally – he's very intelligent and we, what's – what? where's – they a lot of times thought it was uh, a, a emotional. 
which I'm not saying it couldn't be, but it, it, a lot of times it wasn't. So they would ask me questions. How's your family like? What's wrong? This kid's smart here. Now they understand, you know. But um, so they just didn't know what I was going to do. So those moments were like, he's now I get it. They even the hypothetical of me being a parent. Yeah. How I, my friends that have kids like you, I didn't realize my parents were probably like, what is he going to do? Right. So when I found stand up, they were really happy. But then when they saw me do well and saw me open for somebody like that, that was like, especially with my dad, like I'm it's like, huge. you know, it is. It's like, yeah. So and then, you know. And then later in my career, even though I had that type of success, it wasn't until later where I, you know, then I feel like I started to grow. After I moved to L.A., I was really still just going. I knew I knew I wasn't what I wanted to be because I saw comedians I wanted to be. Not them, but be who they, you know, yeah. who they were. Like they're bringing who they are to the stage. It took me whew, whew, took me a long time to figure that out. You feel out. like you're there now. And I don't mean like that you think you're done, but like that you like your art or you like your act. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 proud of it. I want to keep growing, but I'm definitely you know, there was a comedian a long time ago, and I really feel bad that I forget his name, but we were hanging out during the day and I could have told I could have been offended by what he said, but I wasn't. I specifically remember I wasn't, and I know what I thought. We're hanging out during the day, and I was making him laugh. I knew I was making him laugh, and he goes, affectionately one night, he goes, Why don't you uh like bring some of this, do this on stage, you know, like bring it to the stage. And I remember thinking in so many words, I can, you can't, you can't, you can't teach someone to be funny in their bones, but if they are, and they're just not bringing it to the stage, that could happen. Mm -hmm. So I thought the good news was he thought I was funny. If I haven't brought it to the stage yet, you know, I was funny off stage, and then I would go up on stage and just do this generic, you know, I just didn't have my footing yet. Some people find it a lot younger. So I see comedians that are 19 years old, 20, that go, God, they not that they're not going to grow and grow and grow, but they found it early on, like their their voice. Mine took a while, but— I mean, I'm going to, like, make a wild leap here, but I'm sure this is something that you've thought about. You know, I— it was kind of big news or like – not news. I hate to say it like that. It was kind of – you came out just a few years ago. Uh, I'm going to guess five? Yeah, yeah, about five? four. I think yeah. four or five years ago. Um, and I would imagine – you know, like I've had this great gift where I've been, I've been out the whole time I've been doing stand-up. And when I think – and it's not like I like started great or like was like <laughs> amazing. I was garbage. Still am garbage often. Frequently. Can we click that one degree Yeah, down? let's, let's, oh, you know sorry. what I mean? Jesus, right? There's that sound. That's, yep. Love it. Doesn't it sound good? <laughs> Today's episode of Query is sponsored by The Lady's Guide to Petticoats and Piracy, sequel to the New York Times bestseller, The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. The Gentleman's Guide captured hearts and a Stonewall honor with its rollicking tale of Monty, an 18th century lord who embarks on a grand tour of Europe with his best friend and not-so-secret crust, Percy. Fans also love Felicity, Monty's sister, a lady who defies all 18th century expectations and gets her own adventures in The Lady's Guide to Petticoats and Piracy, filled with swashbuckling pirates, hidden identities, and a quest to sidestep marriage to instead become the doctor she's always wanted to be. History books may be silent on our queer ancestors, but that doesn't mean we can't imagine what they were really up to. The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue and The Lady's Guide to Petticoats and Piracy are available wherever books or audiobooks are sold. (laughs) 
This episode of Query is sponsored by the original True Body Bra by TrueAndCo.com. It's the bra folks are talking about. With over half a million people who've bought it and swear by it. You won't believe how good the True Body Bra looks when you put it on. The buttery soft fabric smooths out in all the right places and it has no wires, so it's super comfortable. Unlike other wire-free bras, the original True Body Bra is made of a proprietary terry fabric that still gives you the support you need. Took over six years and data from 7 million people to make this game-changing bra, so it's no surprise that True & Co. has sold over a half million of the original True Body Bras. Yes, a low-flying plane is passing above me. Friends, these are very soft bras. What do you want to know? Touched them with my hands. I liked it. Put them on my body. I liked it too. You could try the original True Body Bra from True & Co. today with free and easy returns and save 15% off when you go to True & Co., dot com slash query and enter the code query that's t-r-u-a-n-d-c-o dot com slash query i can imagine that if you're trying to like figure out your voice but there's a part of you that you're not able to share like you're not sure how to work it in i can imagine that like would create some tension you know i got to grow with before I came out, I still got to at least talk about things that mattered to me on stage. Yeah. So it wasn't like that was so before that happened, this was probably back in like when the melt uh, the the um, oh oh there was a few like the UCB and and Ackerman uh, Scott Ackerman and yeah, BJ Porter comedy Porter, bang bang comedy, yeah. before comedy bang bang it was at the Mint. Yep. The, not the Mint. Oh. Oh, um, M-Bar? M-Bar. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I didn't even live here then. This is right. just the lore. Yes. Yeah. There was the Largo and Uncabaret, although I wasn't really a part of that, although I just loved what they were doing. And then there was the Mint uh, and then the use of the Lar Largo and all it, you know, you get what I'm saying. And that really helped me grow. That was like very, very helpful for, for me. And so I did. I started to, you know, it's not well, like Well, what I, you're kind of talking about there is like the- uh, um, emergence of like alternative comedy spaces in LA. Yeah. I love which... that you said alternative comedy spaces. You know why? I have this weird theory. I still lazily, the people will go, it's alternative comedy. I don't think it was. I think it was alternative spaces. Yes. Because what happened was there were, look, some comedy clubs that have been open for a long time uh, uh, have cultivated these amazing creative audiences. You can have a traditional comedy club like the Acme or or the Vermont Comedy Club comedy or some of the Denver, Heliums yeah. or the Comedy yep. Works in Denver that is, you know, it's a comedy club. It's not, but, but they've cultivated an intelligent audience that is coming out and nurturing to comedy. They, so, so you can do both. But that wasn't the case. There were so many clubs and then they weren't able to fill them and they started marketing and you couldn't really do anything. So they started these alternative spaces and they let comedy grow in a different way. And that was, that was, I hold a very, very special place in my heart for that because it helped me be a better comedian. Yeah. I mean, what, what happened for comics, I think, is that, so when we talk about like what a club feels like and, and in, you know, in the 80s, like, that would have just been pretty much what was available would be if you're going to see stand up, you're going to a club um, or like in the 90s, you know, similar thing. But and what that means is like there's these little tables. It's a lot of people on dates. They're like coming to see like comedy. They're not necessarily coming to see the comic right. that's there. And especially then, at the bad clubs. Yeah. 
again, I want to preface that the good clubs, back, even back then, there was still great things that could go on. But at the, there was a lot of also bad clubs. And like in L.A., it was either the store or the factory or the improv. Yeah. That, and then and then that all changed, which I think is great. Yeah. And then I think that what we're talking about is just like it, it's not that. Yeah. Again, it's not like it's like. This is bad. This is good. But just the expectation is different. Like it's not a date night, so there isn't like this thing of like I'm here with this person and we're gonna laugh at this joke that works for everyone here. It's like a lot more. It's like single people or groups. It's like you can tell by the way they're lined up what a crowd is gonna be. Yeah, you, can, you really can look outside and see the line around the block at a comedy club mm-hmm. and say, oh, this is gonna be. But anyway, that really helped me grow. So it wasn't like that. You know, when I came out of the closet, that was when I finally made growth. But that was a, a very major point because I had grown a lot. And I'd even said to myself, like, you know, like, you have weird hypotheticals with your friends, like that, that my friends that knew about me back then. I go, if I died tomorrow, you know, I, you know, hypothetically, I could talk about my death after I was dead. Like I'm somewhere and I'm dead, and I'm, but I'm still talking about it, which I don't think happens that clearly. But for the <laughs> hypothetical, um, I could, I could be like, hey, you, you did a good job. At least you weren't like what I call congressman gay, where you're not only comfortable to come out, but you say horrible things about it. I was closeted, but I figured, hey, I have family members. They're not gay, and they say intelligent things. If I'm on a radio station and gay marriage comes up, I don't try to hide in the closet by going, oh, that's, they shouldn't have gay marriage to protect myself. So I was good in that sense, and I talked about things, but I could have done better. You know, I could have been more open on stage. So even though I didn't think uh, coming out was going to impact my act that much, it was more for me just off stage and who I was and that it, oh, it just, because there was so much stuff that I hid because I perceived, like if I, I care about atmosphere, I care about decor, you know, and I would like try to hide that because I thought that was going to be revealing to people would figure it out. So coming out was, oh, it was, I was happy before, that's but actually, I'm happier that's now. That's actually, I'm, I'm so glad that, that's actually what I mean is like, is not that, um, is not that I was like, you are garbage, then you came out and like, no. but, but the, um, the idea of just, because stand-up benefits from freedom, you know, it benefits from like mental freedom and verbal freedom and, um, and I don't mean like that we don't keep ourselves in check, but that we are, trying to be real and I can I can imagine just having like a having anything walled off or like patrolling yourself like you're talking about that that would just create like an actual like an actual burden for you I'm I'm um, empathizing with the idea of being on stage and you're so in the moment and you're so with the audience and then there's this thing I could just feel like yeah, that it's, would it's that would feel tough. Saying girlfriend every time yeah. you want to say, you know, your significant other or boyfriend or husband or however, whatever your situation is. But I would always say girlfriend. I never slipped. Not that I'm proud of that, but like I don't want to, you know, like because it was probably inevitably not healthy for me. But I always said girlfriend. And I and I, I I've said this joke in my act, but I, I'll repeat it because I think it does say a lot indirectly. I would imagine a lot of people that were sitting in those crowds that I was performing of, and I, I want to say this very clear, didn't care that whether I was talking about a guy or even if I would have gone up there and said if it was a guy. Th- there was people in that audience that wouldn't care. They're like relationships are relationships. But what I think is extra funny in a twisted way, because it says everything. 
you don't get a chance to weigh in. You've just indirectly said more than you'll ever get to say directly. So there must have been people in the crowd when I was telling stories about girls, <clears throat> but it was a guy. But it's all a guy. Everything I know, it's about a guy because that's all I ever experienced. But I'm saying girl. And they're sitting in the audience going, oh, my God, that's just like us. To the point of clapping. Like, it's not a parody. It's like, ah, this, guy, this guy's girlfriend is exactly like our. It's, it's the same because he's got a girlfriend. And it's just. But then if they could only found out later, if they were, you know, somebody that was homophobic to go, well, I got news for you. If this doesn't prove relationships or relationships, I've been talking about a guy. And so that's how much it is the same. Because no one ever was go sitting in the crowd going, you know, he keeps saying girlfriend, but I don't relate with this at all. <laughs> because right. they, because right. that says couples are couples. Yeah. That's why I ask my comedian friends now, and I get it. I already have a juxtaposition of someone arguing what I'm saying, but I don't like when comedians, even my comedian friends that I, that I have affection for, and I go, stop saying, like, if I know I'm close enough to give them advice, stop saying women, you know, the thing with women, yeah, that's your perception of women because you're dating them. You're dating a woman. So, but guys are just as sensitive. Your reason you think guys are different is because the guys you hang out with, you're not dating them. The, the, the emotion isn't there. If they forget your birthday, you don't care as much. If they, if they forget <laughs> to ask you, hey, how's your day? Because they're your buddies. It's not there. So it's not women. It's, it's people. There's people that are well-rounded. There's people that are not. There's people mm -hmm. that are insecure. There's people that are secure. It's just all over the gamut. So just, it's not like your perception of women is, it's, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I think that's like a great point. Also, oh man, I have so many, f number one, yes. Number two, I have so many follow-ups just like kind of on, what was, what was it like? Because I'm imagining you're, one thing I know is true is that like comics love to talk about material, you know, or something like that. So, I'm I'm imagining there's like friends of yours who knew what was really true in your life. Yeah, yeah, I definitely had, and I'd convinced myself that that circle I had is okay. Yeah, it's not like I'm not telling anybody. Right. So, so they those knew. those yes. people knew what was up. Yes. Um, and then I guess first question there was any didn't anybody like ever call you to the carpet on this or be like Todd I think this I think this would be healthier for you or like was it just sort of accepted that like this was what was going to happen in your comedy life like what was that like with the friends that knew and then saw what you I were mean, doing a few knew I, I like I told a few comedians now I found out later that that they didn't care but a lot knew Okay. A lot new because mm -hmm. I was like, I was a little nervous the night before I went on Mark Marin. I asked a really close comedian friend of mine. I was like, "Is this? Is I know I know you think it's healthy that I should you know be who I am? Yeah. But do you think it's a bad idea to do it there? Like I don't want to. He's like, no, no. And he goes, if this makes you feel any better, everybody talk. A lot of people talk about it, Todd, behind your back, not in a vicious way, in a more like I wish Todd was comfortable to be who he was. Right. So I'm like, okay. And so I never knew that, to you be honest. Nobody said that I, to you. No, nobody ever said that. No one ever said, there, there were a few friends that definitely said, you'll be fine. You know, like, do yeah. it. Like, do it. I was just nervous. And, you know, I, I, I was afraid, like, I was just, you know, it's, it's embarrassing to say this, but I think you'll know what I mean. I was afraid that I, like, wouldn't be cool anymore. Oh my God! I, yeah, I fucking get what you're talking about. And, I, and what I mean by that is, I, I didn't do bad for, for lack of a, a very lazy, lazy way to say what I'm probably trying to say is that, like, you know, when you're cool in high school, 
Not always, but most of the time you don't make people feel good with it. Most people don't take their popularity in high school. Now, some kids do in high school, and they're the ones. That's Dave Olson. That's a friend I had in high school. He was in high school, crazy popular, and he used that popularity to make people feel good. He was ahead of his time. But most kids don't. So when I perceived myself to be maybe, for lack of a better word, cool or popular, I did good things with it. I wasn't like a popular dick, you know, but I thought that would go away. And that, a friend of mine really said something one night. He just like, Todd, no, you're not. It's not, it's not the most interesting. It's not going to become your being because yeah. it's, it's not your most interesting thing about you. He goes, but it is a part of you. I mean, but I get that feeling because, well, I mean, first of all, I'll say this. Like if you're, if you're a woman who does this job, I don't think, I don't think very many women get to ever be in that position of being the cool one. It's like there gets to be one cool one and then everybody else is kind of like, off to the side. Um, but what do you what do you mean? Well, like I think that I think I think about you being like we're saying this like comedian's comedian, and I know I know what that means. I think I think it means like you know somebody that the guys that do this job want to be around. I think if you're a woman, you're kind of like dismissed. I mean, not that there aren't like cool people. There's I mean, we could even name them or whatever. It's like I think Sarah Silverman is like perceived to be cool. Like everybody's like that's a cool person or whatever. I don't know that I've ever been. I think I'm friendly. I think people like me. I but I don't. I don't think that I've been the cool comic. But like Chelsea Peretti, like I would think like yeah, like that would be like you know she's Chelsea's cool. around. Yeah. Like she's, yeah, she's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some of that is like and, there, um, and you know there's I don't want to list too many because then you'll forget one. But I but I but I, I think I know what you're saying. But I th- uh, but it's not that like the fact that we can even name them <laughs> that we're like this is a woman who's a comedian's comedian and this is and we like have you know a couple. I just don't think that's something that maybe just because. Oh, I always hope I'm clean with my thoughts. Maybe it's because uh, women haven't been doing it as long. I also so. think it's a macho job. Yeah. You know, it's like it's a it is a it's a dude's clubhouse, and like, um, you know, I've always been like a guest, and that that's that's okay. I mean, it's not okay with me, but I just mean like. Hopefully, that's changing. I, I mean, mean, it I has think, to. It changes with like everything else. Yeah, I think it's like. Well, I think it's. I feel cool at my show, you know, like the show that I run at the UCB. Um, I feel cool there. Like, I feel like the dudes that are younger than me are like that they are deferential to me in that space. Or when I tour now and I have a, a male opener, that's that feels fun because I do feel like they're deferential to me as like a upperclassman sort of that feeling. And that makes me feel good. Um, I don't feel like my peers when I started had that vibe toward me. And it's not like they didn't like me or I wasn't accepted, but it just wasn't like this is like the coolest one of us because I think that that spot was reserved for men. I truly do. Um, and then, but I also think that, um, you know, being gay, it's like, that's not, that's not something that guys talk to other guys about as the coolest thing you can be. That's, I mean, I just, <laughs> I'm going to imagine myself in a room of all men that nobody's like, you know, it's the coolest thing you could be gay. <laughs> it, did, it did make me feel better as right after I had it, after I came out, had it, after I came out, I would go to do shows and I, it's so far, it's so different now. And like I said, I was happy before, but definitely happier now. Yeah. And a, a guy would come up to me, like, perceived like maybe, for lack of a better way of saying it, just like a, a jock, you know? Yeah. Like, cool kid, probably 24 years old. Yeah. Hey, you're real funny. And put his arm around me after the show at the bar. Hey, guy, you know, whatever. And you're like, nah, he doesn't know. 
He doesn't know. He didn't, you know, because not everybody knew that I'd come out of the closet. I thought, this guy doesn't know. He's treating me. Oh, no. Everybody. No, go ahead. Go no, ahead. No, I mean, yeah. in that situation at that comedy right, 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 club, right, right. whoever it was, because you know, I didn't always talk about it on stage. Right. So I thought, and then, look, whenever I talk about pro- progress, I always like to go, hey, look, it's still a long way to go. And I always say that because you don't want to make it sound like, and now it's great. No, yeah. there's some, I always say kid, younger person that's still dealing with it at a, at a completely different experience. So I don't right. want anyone to hear this and go, oh, he's making it. Because some people do. They go, oh, it's. You, it's or either of our age person r- that, r- like, is living the life that you were talking about. Right. Or, like, they don't feel comfortable being out of work. I mean, we we live, right. like, in, we but, live in this city. But it's progress. Yes. That. It would happen a lot where I would be like, ah, he just doesn't know because he's just treating me like the same old toggles I used to be. He, he probably doesn't know. And then he'd go – and then everybody would settle. And often it was sort of said at the end like, hey, by the way, I heard you on Mark Marin, and um, I'm straight. But – or not, not, not even in a homophobic way, just saying – or maybe he would he'd be there with his wife or he'd be like, I got two kids so I don't know your life. It wasn't in, in a, you know, I got to let you know I'm straight. No, no, not at all. But he would go and that, that's really cool. He goes, I like that. And by the way, it gave me courage to – because it could be something else that you're keeping a secret. Secrets – yes, some secrets are harder to keep than others, but secrets suck. And then I would like, wow. And then that would happen again a month later. Like there's this group that would come up to me and I'd be like, eh, I don't think they know. And then they did. I'm like, wow, just same old Todd Glass. You know, yeah. and that made me feel like it, – it would, it, would it would get even a little emotional because I would like walk away and like just be a little bit like, oh, wow. That feels pretty good, you yeah, know. I can relate to that actually. I yeah. mean, it 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 does matter to me if uh, like a straight dude comes up to me after a show and like you're saying, kind of like outs himself, but then talks about being a fan, or like if I get recognized in an airport or something, and it's just like by somebody that I don't perceive would like love my. This where did this happen? The Denver airport's like this big dude that's like just wearing like what looks like essentially. I don't know, some T-shirt with, like, a military insignia on it. He's got, like, a beard or whatever. He's just like, I love your stuff. And, I, and of course, that That's what we have matters. to learn from it yeah. is that, it, which might sound a little cliche, is that, you know, look, different types of – there's definitely certain types of – I like to call it misinformation instead of hatred because I don't think anybody ever thinks they're being hateful. Misinformation can lead – but by the way, B, also, I want to make people aware of the power and negativity of misinformation. So even if your misinformation comes from what you thought the church was telling you to do or, hey, it all comes down to misinformation, you should know. And I'll call it misinformation because I truly, from my heart, believe that's the reason you have your views, just some misinformation that was, in, that was instilled into you at a young age. But you should know that in, misinformation causes a lot of people a lot of harm. Yes. So... So we should learn not to do that. And maybe that's what people like me and you should learn because I've had the same thing happen where I make a a, a preconceived notion by what someone's wearing, uh, how they will be. And when I really came up with that theory, there was a while back, I think Michael Sam was a football player that came out. And there was a guy that was a newscaster in Dallas. And he said the most articulate beautiful thing in the world and one of the lines was something in the NFL you drag your wife through a hotel lobby by her hair you punch and give your wife a black eye they'll be all right with it but my god you love another person of your sex and they will have nothing to do with it and he said it's so powerful and when he said it I go god if that guy was behind me in Starbucks 
I would just write him off as being a guy that, and I go, that's dangerous. Yeah, I mean, it is. I think the other thing to that is that, like, yeah, I would hope that I would be able to go into the world with an open heart and and not presume things about other people. But then there's a part of me that's like, I mean, I am sometimes scared, you know, just like out in the world. Like, I have like this haircut and some, I wear like a rainbow flag on my motorcycle jacket that I'm wearing in the Denver airport. Some dude stops and comes over to me. There's a part of me that's like, like, okay, who's around and like, who can I count on if like, if this is an interaction yeah. where I'm literally unsafe. I'm like small. I'm a small person and <laughs> shit could go yeah. Rough. Like, I've even had that experience after shows sometimes where, like, there was one particular time where um, somebody was just drunk and they – and it was a guy and he started out – he, like, waited in line to talk to me and then started out complimenting me. And then <laughs> but then by the end of what he was saying, got upset that I had summarily rejected him as a man because of my identity. And – um sort of leaned over the table. I thought, I mean, I think he was going to, I think he was maybe going to hit me. Um, and because of the, like at this time in my career, I hadn't had that happen yet. I didn't have um, like really, really intense looking security. I just had like this woman who was essentially my same size. Like this, there's the two of us who are supposed to deal with this. We, there were other fans in line had to like intercede and step between the two of us. And I, so I think, and I'm like, this is a show. That guy just told me he had a good time. He waited in line to talk to me. And then at the end, it could have gone a different direction. So, like, I do sometimes – I want to think the best of people. And I also hope that we live in a world where, like, violence isn't always on the table just because I – whatever. Yeah. Well, I think it's obviously being cautious, of course, but also not – you know, like a lot of times now I will literally be at Starbucks and look in front of me and behind me and go, think of that newscaster that I would have never thought and go, just don't turn around and perpetuate. Uh, because I see what time it is, but I, I oh no, we it, got time. It just gets me. I I think I don't want to be a part of. I the one life lesson I can learn is don't turn around and do it to another group. Don't turn around whether it's maybe you're not, maybe you're ageist, maybe you're sexist, maybe you're whatever it is, but don't turn around and do it to another group. And so often I see it being done. And I I think that's why there's a lot of problems in this world because and and, and um, because when you have gay people that are racist or women that are racist or black people that are homophobic, you're like, oh no, you only had one lesson to learn. The only thing good to come <laughs> come out of this is that you didn't turn around. <laughs> that somebody says, sure, why did why are you so well? I had it done to me, and no one thinks they're turning around and doing it to another group in a weird way. And I've said this sarcastically. I've never said it publicly. All the problems of the world with hatred, we could start with gay people, black people, women that have not not all of the gay black. You know, gay people, black people, women, or, you know, the list goes on and on. But not all of them, but the ones that are perpetuating the hate to the next group go, wait, that's – this is – why don't we start with those people? If you haven't learned your lesson, if there, if there's if there's a shit ton of gay racists in this room or black homophobic people, well, why don't we leave white straight men alone? Because how the fuck should they learn when you had every opportunity to learn? Like, it, it's weird. Maybe I'll stretch it out even a little further. It's like in the in – the, and I'm no religion. You know, I was, I was born Jewish, so, you know, but I'm no religion. I just – I don't adhere to, to any religion. But for, for the conversation's sake, like, you would think like in the Jewish 
in the Jewish, uh, in the in the like what what you know in, in the Jewish what they learn in their teachings, you I would always picture like a little kid going. Why are they so open-minded? They're so like with the way they treat their women, and there's no judgment in the in the Jewish tradition. And an adult could say to a little kid, "Well, because of what happened back in in uh, you know in um, Auschwitz with uh, Hitler." I'm saying it so sloppily. <laughs> they learned, hopefully, not just to not be mean to Jewish people, but they went everybody on the planet is equal, and that's the Jewish tradition. But no, no. They didn't learn their lesson. So I think we should work within to try to go, wait, if these people had every reason to not turn around and be disrespectful to the next group, then then maybe we should start within. And then when we can get them fixed, then maybe we can go to people that have not really experienced that type of – does that make any sense? It does. I mean, that's that's absolutely how I – I mean that's that's what we talk about here on this podcast and like that's what I try to talk about in general is that like you know I am I have I'm marginalized in a lot of ways and I also have a ton of privilege because like both of those things can be true so I should absolutely use the privilege that I have to work for folks that so are not marginalized yet. in other ways right 100% yeah I also it's it's funny because it like everything you're saying is true and then also like Maybe it is. Maybe it's. Maybe it's both. Where it's like you know, you're right. Absolutely, work in our work in our community. And then I do think like, I don't think it's solvable us because because you know, we don't have all the you power. Know, I'm, I'm so glad you just prefaced that because I said something that I adamantly disagree with. What is it? I just it? said it wrong. That yes, of course, there are things within every community. But the danger of what I just said, if somebody in the outside world hears it. They might interpret what I said was, yeah, yeah, the problems are with you. No, 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 no. There's some outside uh, forces that majorly exist. Gnarly shit, gnarly yeah, shit, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what I'm saying is that is to be, you know, what? whatever it is, you know, whatever it is. Like when, when I see, I have gotten comfortable with, with, I wish I knew the proper word to say, but what you call, because I don't like to say someone whether they're feminine because that's, you're, you're adhering those qualities you know, to, to, to people that are feminine. That was societally taught that that's a feminine quality. So maybe instead of saying, oh, you're in touch with your feminine qualities, just say, well, what are they? And then name them because they're not, they're not assigned to women. They're just women were more in touch with their feelings. So, oh, that I got more comfortable with, with flamboyancy later in life. I used to think, oh no. And I, you know what I mean? I don't like that type of gay person. That's flamboyant. Does this make sense what I'm saying? Yes. Of course, later, I, first of all, there's a lot of straight people that are more flamboyant than they act to be. Hopefully, I think we're about ready to come on to another sexual revolution is that they will be more comfortable too. Because, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's it's everybody it should be able to be who they are. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if but, men didn't have to spend so much energy on making sure that they were presenting a certain way. Can right. you and women, imagine? And women, every, I mean, everybody. No, of course. I just right. mean specifically on the flamboyancy thing. It's yeah. like if, if men just didn't have to, seems so exhausting. Seems so exhausting to live in a world where you're not supposed to have emotions. To me, that seems like Well, yeah, of course. It's punishing. not even healthy. Yeah. And, and, I, and so what I meant was by perpetuating what was done to you, I think some, because someone could say, well, Todd, you don't like anybody who's flamboyancy mixed with negativity, like snarkiness and judgment. You might think, well, Todd, why don't you just widen it? You don't like straight people that are filled with judgment or anybody widen it to that. And I, and I do widen it to that. Of course, it's just anybody. But I think sometimes, and I think people that are gay should be aware of this. Sometimes you get away with your 
the the, the snort a flamboyancy can be if someone's flamboyant but loving oh my god I know and I admire more than you if you're flamboyant use your flamboyancy whether straight or gay to be loving and kind and to to oh my god yes that's who we all want to be who we are and if who you are is flamboyant god damn it be it you know what I mean? And I'll and not only be it, I'll respect it because you found your true self. But sometimes that gets to mixed in with a flippidness and a sarcastic and, and cutting and look and look at you and look no, 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 no. That's not cute. That's not cute. That's not cute. So and sometimes they get away with it a little more because there are a group of people that have been judged been judged. So if you're straight and you don't know, you can say, no, 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 no. I don't have a problem with your it's getting merged together, like you're flamboyant and snarky and cutting and mean and cutting up that person and cutting. Oh, that's funny. It's not funny. It's not funny. And if, and I've never been uh, genuinely. I'm not just saying this. Hey, a friend of mine. But Daniel Kellison pointed this out because he has a gay friend that pointed this out. I just have never gone to a, a website, a gay website. I just probably by the time just never have. I was in the closet and I, you know, I was afraid people would search my computer. Um, but he said on the gay way, d- dating sites, it will say no femmes or fats, fat fatties. Right. That's it. Now I know that could get lost in the shuffle, but no, what did you learn? <laughs> and then, you know, they could do what everybody else did. Well, I don't like, I'm sorry. What should I do? I don't. And there's not a kinder way to say it. Did you learn nothing? And everybody should be aware of that. Like, you're turning around and doing what was done to you. You're just judging and, and, and being – I hope somewhere in there there was a morsel of accountability I feel is what like, I'm talking I about. I feel like it is just – do you talk about this stuff on stage? I haven't seen you recently. Like, I don't. I have – I have. Like, do you talk about, like – do you talk about queerness? Do you talk about queer identity or, like, any of the – I don't know what you're currently Yeah, yeah, covering. no, because we're all out on the road yeah, ourselves. Yeah, like, I don't – yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I totally get it. Like, you don't really know – that's why comedy festivals are fun because you've had a friend you've known for 10 years. You can go, I don't really know what they're doing yeah. on stage. I saw that oh, with Gary cool Goldman. to see your stuff, yeah. Gary exactly. Goldman, I'm his best friend, but we saw each other, hadn't seen each other for a while. <laughs> I went – is in New York, and I went, yeah. it's five years. I hadn't really seen him do stand-up. So, yeah. Um I do talk about it. There's most a lot of times I don't. I do purposely sometimes because I think it's good for people in the audience to go, you don't know who is and who isn't. You know, so it's just for that alone. And when I have a new like I had a new joke I came up with about a year ago. My bro, I was talking about that thing about how, you know, uh, I just talked about a guy every night on stage in the yeah. audience, that joke. And my brother said something and I just tell this story on stage. Because I can always say my, my my girlfriend, girlfriend, girlfriend. No one knows because just their their relationships and they're universal. But what if one time I was on stage? This is like a joke I would do on stage, and it wasn't universal. So I'm you know I've gotten so used to everything being you know a, you know can go back and forth either way. And I'm like yeah you know the other day I was my I was at the airport. I was traveling with my girlfriend, and we were peeing in the bathroom, and she talked. She turned to me and she goes, "Hey, <laughs> people, are like wait a second, why is this?" <laughs> guy peeing is, next to his girlfriend right. at the urinal at the They're airport. Standing? Yeah. yeah. How does this girlfriend pee? So right. stuff, yeah, I will talk about it. Um, but uh, for no other reason, I just, when I'm in the mood to talk about it, I talk about it. But uh, I would say 50-50. 50-50. I mean, I think, I guess what I would say is, uh, it's not like... I talk about it on my podcast a lot, though. Yeah, and I also don't, I mean, like... Who the fuck am I? I don't need you to do anything with your material. But I, I do think that, like, some of the stuff that you're talking about, it would be interesting to hear, not just because it's, like, good for the audience, but I also just think, like, 
you have all this stuff going on inside your brain. Like, I hope that we don't ever get to the end of things that we think about. Like, because otherwise it's like the, I'm in this moment right now where I'm like about to go on tour, tour in the fall and I have like no shit. Like, I just, I just like released an hour and, and I, I haven't been on the road since. And, and you go, you want to just start new. You don't want to. I'm going to start totally new. And I've. I, do you like, want to like, do that? Yeah, no, I, yes. Okay. Because I always tell everybody. Do that yes. because you want to do it. Right. But if you're doing it for the audience, then you don't, then have, no, to. You don't have to. Yeah. Okay. But if you, but I always say that's the that's why I get to the gut of that real quick before I start giving someone. You no, know, if you just enjoy doing it, do it. But if you're like, no, well, I think that's so good. Yeah. I think that's such a good. No, I for me, um, the last thing that I did was like an hour about sexual assault at, from the perspective of being a survivor of sexual assault. So that material, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm like, I that was really hard to do that, and I'm. And I need to be done with that emotionally for myself. And then if I go back to the hour that I did before that, it feels so old to me. Like I, I, I feel like I'm walking through somebody else's material, like uh, with a shopping cart, like plucking jokes off the shelves that I don't give a fuck about. Me, me every, <laughs> you know, like so. I know, I know. So I feel like it has to be new, but I don't know what that shit is. Yeah. So anyway, this is all just to say that. Um, I would love to hear your perspective on queer culture because, like, you on stage eventually, and I I don't even know if this is already what you're doing, but just because, like, for somebody that doesn't always read, like, you don't always, people aren't always walking past you perceiving that you're you're gay, Uh, for somebody that doesn't always read, for somebody that, like, is new, like, still within the range of your life, like, newly out, I think you have a lot to offer in terms of like specificity of experience like those are yeah. two really specific things no, and again on the podcast which has been a great vehicle for me yeah i talk about it a lot right and i got to an amazing place it was hard for me to even say the word gay yeah for a long time you know even on my most recent netflix special but you know what it's weird i wanted to get okay with that word right after i did the mark Marin show people could tell i was dancing around it and some affectionate people affectionately, I said, Todd, how are you going to help kids if you're not even comfortable saying gay? And I asked my friend Kevin, who's a therapist, who sometimes just has, you know, clean answers to things, you know, because the way he's taught to look at things. And he goes, you know, that that's a good thing. But also, he goes, you know what, I'm not sure, because there's other kids that have trouble saying those words. And by you being honest where you're at, you can't yeah. fake. He goes, you, you want to get there. You want to get there. He goes, but just talk about that and say why you have a trouble with that word. Maybe that will teach people the impact of you hearing the word gay instead of lame since you were old enough to remember remembering. You know, how many – of course, like, you know, instead of the movie sucks, it's gay. It's gay. It's gay. So for maybe people that said, oh, that word took on a new meaning and maybe they – instead of me faking it every night and saying gay like it's – I'm used to it and put a – you know, uh, fake it till you can make it type of thing and just say it. No, maybe there's some other kid. I always say kid because they're having – you know, adults too are having trouble figuring themselves out. But maybe if I'm – if I have trouble saying that word, there's another kid at home watching it going, oh, I have trouble with those words too. And it also it indirectly teaches people the impact that it took on a new meaning for you, maybe. For you, maybe. It goes, no, there's two types of gay. There's the gay that's a person, and then there's gay that means lame and I don't like it. And I always thought it was funny to go, yeah, but, you know, we're still using it too. 
So wouldn't that make you want to not make it a double meaning? Like, even if I went with you and go, you're right, it took on a double meaning to you, but don't you go, oh, yeah, but that might. So for them to know that there was an eight-year-old Todd Glass, or probably not at eight, but 13 going, God, gay means shitty. I'm supposed to, as a 12-year-old, go, but then they took on a new meaning. So by the time I came out, that word was really hard for me to say. Now I'm fine. Now I love, you know what I liked and I heard it seven years ago and I loved it, fluid. I didn't fight that term because I knew what it meant. And fluid, by the way, doesn't have to mean gay or straight. In my mind, fluid means, you know, people go, hey, would you go out with, hey, it depends how far back you go. If you're Jewish, would you go out with an Italian girl? If you're white, would you go out with a black girl? Would you go out, fluid means, oh, my body tells me what I like, and I'll just <laughs> go with it. If I get a my heart starts pounding when I'm talking to someone, I don't go, oh, I wish they weren't this color. Oh, I wish they weren't that. So fluid means I'll let my body, I'm not going to let societal things tell me what my body likes. My body will tell me what I like. My body will tell me what I sexually am attracted to. So fluid means I'll just be fluid. I'll be out there, and whatever I, whatever turns me on, I'll be fluid with it, and I'll just flow right into it and let it happen. Fuck yeah. I feel like that's like, honestly, our stopping point. Because like, we're like right at that time. And I also feel like that's a good... I want to make sure, because what I what I said before misinterpreted, and I'm really glad you clarified it, because I might have just left here, that clarity of not making it look like, you know, they're responsible for their... No, I think you were super clear on that. Yeah, I'm just saying there's outside forces, but look within your own. Don't... Don't perpetuate anything that was done to you, even if you don't think you're doing it. That doesn't mean you're not. You know, nobody ever in the history of this world was go, tried to uh, just said, well, why do you have those people doing, oh, I'm hateful. Also, I mean. No one ever thinks they're hateful. Yeah, of course. And and by the way, a little self-investigation is literally never a bad thing. (laughs) I just mean anybody who's listening who thinks that they might do a good job of – holding the door open for others like we can always right we can always spend more time on that it's always a good thing to be yeah aware of todd this was rad i'm so i'm so i'm so glad that you were here and that we had a chance to talk about all the stuff that we talked and, about and, and i what? have like a thousand other questions i know I and, I, and i and I, I was driving here i thought about something because i've said this a few times and i don't want it to be like you know me mocked behind my back but overwhelmingly i don't talk about this that much now in the last five years, of course, more than ever. But even then, I'll go two years. So when you when when you talked about when you you know I knew what the show was a you know you talk about a billion things, but that's something you that's a you know something you talk about. And I thought it's probably healthy for me to talk about it. And yeah. and it's probably even though I'm out right now, like every time that I do this and I and I and I get more and more like comfortable talking about it, even at my age is is a good thing. So I was like, yeah, it'll be and you and you, you end up going, wow, I never talked about that. I never I never expressed that or I never so so I was it's always cathartic for me to talk about these things. I, I actually I really meant what I said when I said thank you for being here and doing this. I, I know this isn't something that you always talk about and I also I am grateful to have you in the comedy community because you're a hilarious comic and also because of the choice that you made to come out because I think that um, that you've made it safer for all of us, like at literally every comic to to be whoever they are. And then also just as a, you know, as a queer person, I it, it, it did mean something to me when you came out. I hope that you know that. Well, you know what? Um, 
I, I really I really do appreciate that. And I, I was noticing in the last five years, which I, I forget who said it, but they said, I'm the biggest person that knows we ha- Oh, it was, I forget who it was, but he goes, I know how much further we have to go with whatever the cause was he was talking about. But it's very important. It doesn't mean we're done by any sense of the imagination. But to stop and just not in delusion and think it's over, you know, but an appreciation to where it's come. Yeah. And in the last five years, it's, it's so many comedians are are out and on stage. And I know there's some more that there's a ton that aren't probably yet. But in five years, like that's crazy. Because when I did it, you, you couldn't even – you needed 10 people to come up with a few names. Now I go see open mic nights. If you go into a town early and you see a comedian going up there and – just whenever I see anybody being who they are, it makes me cry. Like if I'm walking around Target and I see two girls holding hands that figured it out, I just, I, I, I just even now I, I get, love it. I get like just getting to be themselves and they're 12 or 13 and maybe they're not even get to do that at home, but they're walking around Target and you and they're holding hands and you're like oh and they're friends and they're just with two other friends that probably you know might not be gay but they're all giggling and just having a good time. I literally will just like start crying. I I'm, start crying. I mean, it does matter. It like it does matter. I mean, I guess that's I guess that's what I'm saying is. I don't know if it feels like it matters to you. Like, I know I know it feels like it matters to you. Like, this was probably a relief for you. But I will just say, you know, my, my yeah, my goal as a, as a comic has always just been to, like, you know, put my body in the way of injustice. Like, literally to have people ha- see me and, and, like, hear the things I'm saying and I'm, like, funny or charming or likable. And then, like, and then they, then they cannot hurt me or they... They cannot hurt people like me, and it really matters. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and you know what? You're right. I don't know. That's what's great about podcasts is that you learn about. Like I've known you for yeah, however many time, years, actually. yeah. <laughs> but I don't know what's you know. So I, I I appreciate hearing that. I really do. And of course, I did it for myself uh, 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 um, overwhelmingly. But there's no doubt that some outside forces realizing how it would help help me inevitably do something that was good for me yeah but the outside forces of realizing what it would do for a comedian that's 16 thinking about doing comedy and sees me being on stage talking about it i talked about it on my netflix special which you know i've been doing comedy a long time and i talked about it on my netflix special and um never thought i would do that never thought i would do that so i'm really happy for you that's that kind of rules it's huge uh, okay, before you go, I just have to ask you to shout out a queero, which is like a person, place, or thing that just made you feel more comfortable being the person you are. Um, hmm. I know there's a few. Well, I know we're going over here a little bit. You're fine. But it, 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 can I answer it in A and B? Love it. Ah. <laughs> a, uh, answer... Anybody in my – because a lot of times people ask you, like, I've had a friend go, what do I do if I think my son or my daughter's gay? And I'm like, well, just be open-minded in front of them. And it's not only about the gay issue. One night we were watching the show about strange obsessions. Now, look, we are allowed to laugh at things. It's okay. But I thought to myself, I, me too, you know, whatever it was they were doing, you can still question it. A lot of times people go, oh, you can't even bring something up. No, no, no. There's a big difference between bringing something up and, and going, God, what do they do? Or how do they do that? Or how do they meet? Or what is, how does that, you know, how to, that's questions. But even be careful if you're watching some weird show in the afternoon about strange obsessions and you're saying just all negative about it. Because let's say there's somebody in that room that's gay or a cross-dresser, or whatever they are, 
Do you think they're more likely, if they were thinking about telling you, and you're sitting there going, look at this person that does something different. <laughs> they're going to go, oh, I should tell that person. I would make me call. But if they see you going, wow, that's weird. You, I'm being realistic. You don't have to, you're not a therapist. You don't have to watch some strange obsession on TV and go, oh, well, uh, you know, you, you're a lot of giggle. And you're, <laughs> yeah. But if they see also mixed in with it, wow, that must be hard to live with that. Or that, even if it's not gay, a gay issue, and they're thinking about telling you about themselves, I bet they'll be more comfortable. So be careful how you learn and grow in front of people. And I realize I think a lot of gay people make the same mistake. They'll be like, whatever it is, I don't want to do that because I know the people that made me more comfortable when I was not thinking about it, where I noticed people that were open-minded to everything. That yeah. were like, if, if they saw a comedian that was, um, uh, a friend of mine once, there was a comedian, he was gay, and he hit on a guy, and, and everybody made a big deal about it. He goes, ah, shut the fuck up. If Blank did that, you know, and, and I was like, wow, he wasn't saying that so I would come out. He was just being himself. But you drop a few of those things over the years, and I'm like, this is somebody that I could talk to. That's rad. I love that. That's that's a rad. Thought. Yeah, be very careful when you because we no one thought anybody was gay. People used to talk about being gay, like oh, we know who's gay. We know who not to talk about this in front of. Yeah, and and, and we could turn around gay people and do the same thing with another thing. We'll be like, hey, what would you? Uh, it's like when you ask someone hypothetically. Uh, would you rather your roommate come out as gay or a cross-dresser? Well, how do you know you're not having that conversation with two people in the room? Exactly. They're dealing with that. And, in, and inevitably, if your heart wouldn't care, just be careful the way you grow and learn. Because if there's So that's what I always tell my friends that might think someone's gay. Just be open-minded, not just on the gay thing, on anything, because they're taking it in. So that's one answer. And the second answer, I'll give a shout-out. One of the first people I ever told— um, his, I hope this answers your question. Oh my God. Yeah. You're yes. I thought he was, and I, and I don't want to even say his name, but it doesn't really matter. But yeah, I can say his name. His name was Drew. And I told him we were down in like Stone Harbor. I was 23 years old. And I thought I should, I just, I, I, I had a major crush. I didn't, you know, having crushes is hard enough when you can tell everybody about it. But when you have a crush and you can't tell anyone, I don't know how the fuck I didn't explode explode. I'm like, oh my God, this is hard enough if I could, you know. Yeah, yeah, yes, so, yes. So, so I told Drew and he wasn't. I thought he was. And I was, I was, I, I started sweating. I mean, I'm sure you wanted to die. I yes. wanted to die. I wanted to just, I, I tried to take it back and I, I, and I was staying, his parents had a beach house down in uh, Stone Harbor and, and no one was there but me and him and I woke up the next day and I was just packing my bags. I was supposed to stay uh, I was supposed to leave anyway the next day, but late at night. I made up an excuse. And I was like, yeah, because I have to do this. Because I thought, yeah, he's okay with it, but he's probably weirded out a little bit, even though he didn't. He's like, oh, that's okay. I don't care. And then I woke up in the morning, and he, and he made this, like, funny cartoon that was mocking me from the night before. He couldn't really draw that well, but he was like – and I laughed. And I remember thinking, all right, he's just trying to be nice. And then he's like um, – just stay till – can't you stay till Monday because we're going to go see that band that plays – and I, and I, oh my God, I was, he, he didn't care. He just treated he you like a person. He wouldn't have asked me. He just treated yeah. you like a person. He could have been nice. <laughs> yeah. He could have, but, but still like been like, no. And then he, you know, I wasn't going to beg him to stay till Monday. Cause you know, I picture him talking behind my back, but like, why would he beg me to stay till Monday when he could have just gotten rid of me? He could have gotten, let me go home. I was already planning on going home. And then later, this is this, when it comes full circle, 
he told me like a year later, and this is like so ahead of his time, so smart. He goes, I didn't really. He goes, I knew you, what you, I know you, Todd. He knew me that well back then. He goes, and I knew that that would keep you and make you feel like I didn't, he goes, I knew I didn't give a shit, but I needed to let you know I didn't give a shit. And I'm like, Drew, I go, how the fuck were you that smart, you know? So that's someone that made me feel What's good up, about Drew? who I was. That's the best. I love that story. I'm so glad that you told that yeah. story. I should tell him to listen to the show. Because yeah, you should. I still know who he is. We're oh. still, we're still, we don't, we go like three, four years without talking, but we still touch, we still, uh, we still communicate. And um, that's, that's Drew. Drew. Man. Yeah. Those moments. It matters. Right. Oh, Todd. Uh, tell people the name of your podcast. Todd, uh, the uh, the Todd Glass Show on on Nerdist, and then also um, my Netflix special, which is uh, uh, called Act Happy, and it's uh, on Netflix right now. It came available, I think, about five six months ago. Awesome! Thank you so much. Thank you. That was fun. Over half a million people swear by the original True Body Bra by TrueAndCo.com. The True Body Bra looks amazing when you put it on with soft fabric that smooths you out in all the right places while still giving you the support you need. The best part, it has no wires. It's super comfortable for all-day wear. Try the original True Body Bra from TrueAndCo today with free and easy returns. And you can save 15% off when you go to TrueAndCo.com query and enter the code query. That's T-R-U-A-N-D-C-O dot com slash query. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nuts. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Ah, uh, yes. I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> Oh, Jesus! I mean, Jazos! <laughs> ruler of the Eighth Circle! And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.